You know, I've been thinking. It's been so hard to determine where I am. It keeps changing. I keep traveling, and yet things remain the same. I go to a haunted forest. I see the ghosts of buildings and roads and people. I go to the bustling city. I see the ghosts of trees and creatures and monsters. And both of them, both of these locations that I've found myself oscillating between these days, are still imperfect. No matter how I describe them, how I work at them, how I try to solve everything, figure it all out, what it is each stands for, and how real or imaginary either of them are, what we can do to reconcile their differences. Blah, blah, blah. Vagueness and ambiguity, I know, they're beloved habits of mine. No matter how much I go on about these places, wherever and whenever and whatever they are, they just seem not quite right. That is to say, I'm not delivering them to you accurately. But what can I do? You will make the forest what it will be. You will make the city what it will be, in your mind at least. And they are probably very different than the ones in my mind. At the end of the day, neither is real. Sorry. Perhaps I'm a little salty. I apologize. It's just that I'm so tired. It feels like I've been everywhere and yet nowhere lately. One foot in one reality, the other foot in another. And I have expected too much from myself. Wanted too much something that I was for some reason telling myself I didn't have and should have. False, false, false from the beginning to the point I am at now. Oh well. Oh dear. But finally... A time to sit here, wherever I am. The sidewalks and traffic lights fade in and out of my vision, rhythmic and steady in their undulating, as the forest does the same on the offbeats. And I think about how soon I know I will transform into something entirely new. Something different from the ghoul I was in our first hundred stories. Something different from the changeable forest spirit I was in our second hundred. But what will it be? The thing is, maybe I'm not supposed to know. But I want to. Foolish thing, an impatient heart, but there it is. Trying to get ahead of the game. Trying to anticipate the transformation and what it will look like, feel like, what will happen. You can't burn down all the rules and then still try to game the system. But I took the question to my tarot cards anyway.
I shuffled with a quick kind of intensity. Greedy for answers. Yes, yes, tell me, tell me, what will I be? What will I stand for? What will I transform into? I drew, for the first time, surprisingly, the tower. So, the tower means devastation, upheaval, sudden, unexpected, perhaps difficult change, change that often comes with revelation and, if we are wise with our pain, perhaps also growth. But I didn't tremble when I first saw it. In fact, I laughed out loud, out of curiosity. Joy. It feels odd to say it, but yes, joy. This is me. What is my next incarnation? I asked. This is me. I am the shocking change that will bring revelation. Goodness gracious. Even if I hadn't asked a question and just drawn the card for myself, even if it was foretelling the future, which maybe it could be, though I'm not entirely sure it works like that, I would still be joyful. Even if you told me something horribly painful and devastatingly uprooting is coming in your life, I would still be joyful, because I will greet every challenge with the will to continue loving every single world I find every single incarnation of every single self in. It's only devastating if you believe your life is so small and so hollow as the city world would often have you think. And every great challenge brings revelation. Every single great challenge you can think of. There is none too great that can defeat you. For you are so much more than you seem. But I'm not sure this is saying that the tower will happen to me. It is saying that I will be the tower in my next incarnation. I asked once where this current journey was going on, and my deck told me, the magician. So perhaps that is where I will end here, as the magician. And then I will return, after some good rest, and become the tower. The thing I feared most, the thing that changed me, will be the thing that I become to... I hesitate to assume it will be to change others. I hesitate to assume it will be to change the world. I think it is hubris to think I have the power to do either. But I am prone to hubris at times. That is part of the darkness within me that I'm trying to learn to love. And maybe the tower is, too. Listen, I'm just speculating. I don't know everything. I don't really know anything. 
But maybe the tower will be all of us. And I don't think that's a bad thing either. I think that everything will change, and very dramatically. I think that it will come with no small degree of discomfort, to say the least. But in that discomfort, in that pain, amid the chaos, for that is ultimately what the tower is, the growth can be exquisite, if we allow it to be. We have been resisting change for too long, within ourselves and outside of ourselves, but it will come nevertheless. I know you don't come here for this. Well, that's speculation too, and I really don't know anything, but I think you come here for scary stories and sleep. But all things change. I used to come here for my own selfish melancholy and my decadent love of the gothic and to romanticize frightful things. All things change. There is a new phantom before me, another spectral building, but not concrete like the ones in the city I am used to seeing, the ones that fade in and out of my reality while I think I am in Toronto. No, this is not a Toronto tower. Indeed, we have a mighty one here, though I'm not sure what it's for. This is not that one. This is another tower. One we've talked about so many times. One that I built up, tore down, built up, tore down. And now I see its ghost before me. It was never about the bricks. But unlike my tower before... This one has a door at its base. Shall we enter? As soon as we do, everything changes. We thought it would be a round, narrow structure. That's how it appeared on the outside likely with candles and mirrors and books as it usually has had. But this time, it has pale green stripes and ribbons on the walls. Wallpaper. How strange. And it seems large. No, it's just that we're small. We're about the size of young children, so everything seems a little bigger. I look down, and I'm wearing... Hey, I remember this. A pale green dress, trimmed in gold. 
It came with a little hat. Little green shoes, I think. It's a costume. It was my favorite costume. I wore it until I absolutely knew for certain that I had grown out of it. I am standing on top of a book. A beautiful fairy tale with pictures. The Twelve Dancing Princesses. About twelve sisters who used magic every night to transport themselves to a magical kingdom full of music, food, light, joy, celebration, princes, and most importantly, dancing. And they danced all night long until their shoes wore out. And every prince there was one they had lured, swayed through magic so that they would be there every night to mindlessly dance with these princesses. Now I know they were powerful witches. The ending to the story I won't mention because it always disappointed me. It also strikes me now that perhaps the princes they trapped for their nightly dances, perhaps they weren't so bewitched after all. How much convincing would it take if you could tell someone, stay here forever, in this beautiful place where you have no worries or cares, no responsibilities, only dancing, dancing, and more dancing. Only music so sublime you can't help but dance. Only food and drink you did not have to fight for. You'll always have a dance partner. You'll always have company. You'll always have magic. Forever and ever. I did not think those princes were trapped at all. Not at the time. Now I know that one would have to be bewitched to find joy in anything that lasts forever. Everything is meant to change. Anyway, that is the book I am standing on. There are tears streaming down my face. I am holding a little bag full of a few things I thought I'd need. You see, I saw a commercial as a child where a little girl jumped into a book and she found herself suddenly in the world of the book. The commercial was there to encourage children to read. I thought it was there to encourage children to jump inside of stories, literally. I was probably, even then, a little too old to try such a thing, but I had to try it, just in case. Do you know how hard I believed? I remember the feeling of disappointment, of grief, at the realization that I could not do such a thing, at the brutal reality of the fact that of course you cannot jump into a fictional world. Of course you cannot. Are you standing on a book, too? Which book? How do you feel? We can weep together about it. It's all right. 
were children after all. Children are allowed to weep. Someone is knocking at the door. That's the problem with doors, isn't it? I think I liked the tower better when it did not have one. Will you go and open it for me? No one's there, right? Wait. See that setting sun in the distance, just on the horizon of the seemingly endless green? And there is a little path, and a young woman is walking down the path, towards the tower, as though drawn to it. She looks awfully familiar. I would say that she's me, only she wears a kind of tunic that people wore thousands of years ago, in a country I have not visited for some time. Not the one I stand in now. The green and hot and fragrant land of those who came before me. That is where I based my first tower. A place of warmth and magic and chaos and food and music. A place of witchcraft. A place where such a thing as tarot cards could be born. She is walking towards us, drawn to this place, her hair disheveled, her feet bare. What I might have been in a different time. But what does that matter? There is no such thing. Yet I see her clearly, longing for something. Something that is in here. Then do you know what happens? We start to slide into the books, like they're made of quicksand. I can't believe it's working. We slip into these books through the floor, finally. But we do not find ourselves in a magic forest, or a warm and golden ballroom, or wherever your book would have us go. Suddenly it's quite dark. We're looking up at a night sky. Strange music is playing. Music from a world between a new millennium and whatever we shall call this year we are in now. A halfway point from childhood to here. Almost grown up. I am lying down while my teenage friends are laughing and joking not far from me. It is prom night. It is after the prom. A night I was told would be fun and magical and musical, like those balls in the Twelve Dancing Princesses. But it was not. It was fine. I still felt alone. I still felt lost. But the stars were there, and I was focused on them, not the sounds around me. I recalled a book, 
a book I'd read where a beautiful vampire had learned to fly simply by thinking to himself, up, up, up. And he found himself in the night sky, among the stars. I was, I think, 17 years old, and I knew I was too old to believe what I read in books. It was the twelve dancing princesses all over again. I knew it was futile, but I whispered to myself, only loud enough that magic could hear and not my friends nearby. Up. 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 And I wept that I could not fly to the stars. I would not tell anyone why I was sad. It was so ridiculous. But I believed it. Despite logic, despite convention, despite the fact that I was a very smart person, or so I thought, I believed it somehow. I am there now. I will try one more time. And guess what? I am in the stars. And you are here too, if you want to be. The peace here, the quiet here, is unimaginable, vast, and safe. But we cannot stay for long. The sound of flapping wings surrounds us and we realize we are not meant to be here. At least not for too long. We are meant to be on Earth. And so we gently float down, down, down. And find ourselves in a little apartment quaint, not perfect, quite messy, too many cardboard boxes. This was a time when I couldn't leave my home, so I had to order essentials, and I was fortunate enough to be able to do so. I was unpacking groceries that had been delivered to me, blindly putting things in the fridge, washing my hands frequently, no longer wiping everything down with disinfectant as we'd once been told to do, but still being quite careful. I say blindly because I was not considering the food I had bought. I was not respecting or admiring it. I was just begrudgingly doing a chore. Unconscious. Until, suddenly tomatoes on the vine, fresh. I can smell them right away. I hold them up to my nose, and the vine smells almost like mint. There's the smell of good dirt, too. Clean. I know it came in a plastic bag with a logo on it, I know that. 
I sit with the contradiction here. But it smelled, suddenly, like the tomatoes my father tried growing in our garden when I was a child. The same child who tried to jump into books. I remember smelling tomatoes on the vine when I was little. It was such magic to know that this thing did not exist. Then with love and care and water and sun and earth and air, it grew and was now feeding those I loved. In the kitchen of my one-bedroom apartment in the middle of a global pandemic, I wept over a bag of tomatoes. I wept for not being able to go back to that kitchen of my childhood home. I wept for not being able to grow my own tomatoes, but for needing to buy them from a factory with plastic logos. I wept for my ancestors who would probably scoff at their weak and diminished taste. I heard another knock, and I am back at the tower with you. Open the door again. No one is there. But that woman is still walking towards the tower. This time, she is a little closer. She is looking at us and smiling. I don't know why I'm afraid of her, but I am. I think it's the directness of her gaze, the sharpness of her grin. For though she looks like the character who I was before the tower happened to me and turned me into a creature, I know, and she knows, that there is no such thing as time, and therefore... She is already everything that she ever was or ever will be, contained in herself, like a seed, like tomato seeds about to be planted, containing already all of the DNA for a full-grown tomato, already containing other seeds for new tomatoes. We all contain the seeds of what we will be, and what we already were. I am back in the apartment and consider writing about crying over tomatoes. I put these thoughts into a book that I plan to publish one day. I assume that me crying over tomatoes and not being able to fly and jump into books matters to anyone except me. I see me sitting at a computer, wearing glasses, trying not to care that I don't have makeup on, or that my hair is a mess, or that my body changes, grows, shrinks, aches, stretches. I try not to care that I'm in this form. I try to move beyond it. 
Sometimes I am successful. I could not jump into books or fly or go back to the time of the tomatoes. But I could write. And maybe, if I just write hard enough, I can solve this paradox. Fix reality. Make it more like the twelve dancing princesses. Make it easier to fly. Make it easier to grow. Make joy flow smoothly, like a river. Like golden particles in the air that I can breathe in and out, and you can breathe in and out. Until we're all made of the same stuff, inside and out. Silly, silly, silly. You know, I had so much trouble writing this episode because I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. I'm just aiming for honesty and oneness. I don't want to scare you. I don't want to hurt anyone. I want to ease suffering and help others, even as I suffer and need help. I want to be good, but the cards say I am the tower. And the tower is chaotic destruction. The apartment fades, little by little. Darkness enters, and shadows surround the girl at the computer typing away. I thought it was daytime. As I write this, it is daytime. As I record it, it is daytime. I know this, and yet shadows grow all around me. The street sounds below fade out to birds singing and leaves rustling. Trees come into view. Not pulsing in and out of reality as they were before, but really, really real, surrounding me. I see yellow eyes in the shadows. I come a little closer. I see thick and matted dark hair with branches and leaves sticking out of it. I see green skin with little buds growing from elbows, shoulders, knuckles, collarbones. I see a mouth, red and smiling, blood dripping down her chin, dripping from her fingertips. And I realize something as I look at her, certain now that it is a mirror. Didn't someone give me another one recently? I see behind her, a garden, a thick and beautiful and messy garden, chaos, disorder, but growth and plenty nonetheless. And there are vines growing up and around what might have been gravestones long, long ago, maybe stones from the ruins of an ancient tower, long ago torn down. 
and I realized that it was never blood in my teeth, under my nails. I look down at my hands and bring my fingers to my lips, tasting the red liquid that stains my green skin. Green again, if only for this moment. I realize it's not blood. It was never blood. It's just tomatoes. (laughs) Hello, my friends, and thank you for listening to episode 197 of On a Dark, Cold Night. Thank you for letting me talk to you about what I will talk to you about. If you're still with me, what's wrong with you? (laughs) I'm just kidding. If you're still with me, I'm incredibly grateful. This is, of course, Kristen Zaza, your writer, host, narrator, podcaster, composer, team of one behind the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. These stories I shared tonight are rather intimate Kristen stories that I decided to share in this way. I plan to tell them again, possibly in a different form, but it seemed important for some reason in talking about the tower. If I'm going to be chaotic and destroy something, let me chaotically destroy the expectations that have been put on me and you and everyone to suppress the imagination, to suppress our connection to eternity, and most importantly, our connection to each other. If you're interested, by the way, those stories about me as a child jumping into the twelve dancing princesses and trying to fly like a vampire. So the version of the twelve dancing princesses was retold and illustrated by Ruth Sanderson, I highly recommend you look at her art or check out her books. They're just gorgeous, and you won't blame me for trying to jump into them as a kid. And of course, if you know me, you probably guessed that the flying vampire I was obsessed with was Lestat. I believe I was referring specifically to The Vampire Lestat by Anne Rice. I'm saying these um, these little citations. I don't know if they're needed, but... If you want to get to know me a little bit, there you have it. I owe a lot of my love of the imagination and the macabre and of philosophical monsters to Anne Rice. She passed away this year, so I thought I'd just, I don't know, take a moment on air, since I haven't done so yet, I don't think, to say thank you to her for making me want to fly up to the stars, too. I'd like to take a little moment to chat with you again about Anna Luisa, a lovely jewelry company that's offering support to On a Dark Cold Night this month. That's spelled A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. Anna Luisa crafts high-quality jewelry that is gorgeous, versatile, and very affordable, with pieces beginning at $39. And they also have new collections released every Friday. Following my theme of trying to go back to the time of the tomatoes, 
Ana Luisa is a completely carbon-neutral company, whether it comes to packaging or to the products themselves, which is a really wonderful thing. They have lots of different styles of jewelry to suit every style and personality. They sent me two necklaces and a pair of earrings with absolutely gorgeous witchy details on them. I'm in love with the way they look, and they're so comfortable you don't even notice you're wearing them. If you visit shop.analuisa.com slash goodnight, you can take advantage of their buy one, get one 40% off sale. So it's a great opportunity to get yourself and or someone you love a little gift. That's shop.analuisa.com slash goodnight for buy one, get one 40% off at Anna Luisa. Thank you so much to everyone who supports what I do here through Patreon on a monthly basis. It means the world to me, friends. You can check out patreon.com slash darkcoolnight to learn more. Every supporter of $1 or more a month receives as a perk access to my complete soundtrack, while every supporter of $5 or more gets that and a video of a monthly tarot reading I upload for every full moon. When I reach episode 200, I'll be taking a short break, maybe just a few weeks or so. But through that, I'll be sure to keep up with my Patreon schedule. You can learn more at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. If you'd prefer to donate one time only without any perks, you can buy me one or more metaphorical coffees at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. And you can buy t-shirts and hoodies at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. I would also love it if you left a rating and review for On a Dark Cold Night on iTunes, Spotify, Facebook, or wherever else you like to rate and review podcasts. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, and on Facebook and YouTube at On a Dark Cold Night, and on TikTok at Kristen Zaza. And again, feel free to check out that buy one, get one 40% off discount for Anna Luisa through shop.analuisa.com slash goodnight. Thank you once again, my friends. The countdown is well underway, but there's no such thing as time, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. Just looking forward to a tiny break in a few episodes. But also looking forward to the next incarnation of On a Dark Cold Night. Even if it does involve the tower even if I am the tower. Maybe that's what I've been the whole time. I'm quite shocked I haven't seen this card until now, but I'm glad that I did. And I'm glad that you joined me. Sweet dreams, my friends. Take care. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.